I'm getting into a, an enjoyable habit. I was, happened to be ill-conventful recently. I was there in 85, and we had a reunion, and I ended up leading a Padmasam of a puja. And I hadn't set out to do that. Visantra, I think, sort of wanted a kind of night off, and so I ended up doing it. And it was an ordeal. Because it was two and a half hours, and I said, look, we'll chant the Padmasam of a mantra a thousand times. <laughs> See, uh, I didn't know what I was talking about, really, and uh, off we went, and my goodness, tell you what, when you're at 400, <laughs> then it's a labour of love. It's a labour of love. However, one of the enjoyable things I like doing, and we're going to do it now, is a bit... There's a bit of audience participation in this talk. And what it means is, now I know you've had a difficult day. Right? You've been here since yesterday. It's very tough. And you're, you're tired. I know that. But I'd like you all to stand up, please. And you've got to look at Padmasambhava. Okay? Now I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. It's quite, it's quite simple. Uh, we're going to put a right punch our right hand into the air we're going to look at the bodhisattvas and the buddhas and we're going to shout and we're going to shout ho to the buddhas the bodhisattvas and the bodhicitta okay no we're not yes we are <laughs> we're going to do it three times for of course body speech and mind or is it for my wife my two sons I don't know are you ready then okay so when, when I, when I, ho to the buddhas the bodhisattvas and the bodhicitta are you ready Ho to the Buddhas, the Bodhisattvas, and the Bodhicitta. Ho to the Buddhas, the Bodhisattvas, and the Bodhicitta. Ho to the Buddhas, the Bodhisattvas, and the Bodhicitta. Great, see. So that's them taking a bit of cognizance of us, eh? And we're all a wee bit warmed up. Padmasambhava, eh? So, um... Settle down now. Um, I uh, was 24. I think I was 24. It was 1974. It was July. My yoga class had failed. It was run by a, a ballet dancer crew from Edinburgh. And, um, and they were always... Well, they were quite emotional. And uh, <laughs> eventually it collapsed when the older man's younger boyfriend uh, ran off with a middle-aged woman who had money. <laughs> Life, uh, life delivers these, these shattering uh, blows to our illusions or even our delusions. Poor man, actually. Poor man. Anyway, so I had to go looking for another yoga class, and I heard there was one at the Glasgow Buddhist Centre, a flat in Bath Street. So I went there, and the door opened, and there was a guy there. He wasn't an order member then. He became one, and he looked like a, a, a whirling dervish, you may, if you know your, your late imperial history if you see I'm whirling dervish all curly hair you look crazy actually and so I knew I was going to be at home and uh, and I went in and and the and on the wall was a poster uh, and that poster was called Padmasambhava on the copper coloured mountain and for years in the FWB and for years all over the, uh, the western and British Buddhist movement and, and, and fellow travellers you would see Tantra posters, that was the name of the company, and this, one of the posters that they had, a famous one, was Padmasambhava in the Copper Coloured Mountain. They also had the, the Wheel of Life, that's another one you can still see around, 
and uh, a really nice one, a Shakyamuni uh, defeating Mara. I remember that. So when I went in, when I went in to the uh, Glasgow Buddhist Centre, and they, there it was. I walk in, I turn to the, the left, and there on the wall above the fireplace is a Tantra poster, Padmasambhava on the copper-coloured mountain. Now, these posters were not pristine. They were not, shall we say, spiritually pure. They'd been adulterated for Western consumption. But it was still a very attractive image to me. And I, I felt an attraction to Padmasambhava. And Padmasambhava was the first figure, or Bodhisattva figure, you might say, or even Buddha figure, that I was attracted to, even, in a sense, before I became attracted to, to being a Buddhist. Eh? Um, and what I, when I was thinking about this talk... Uh, I, I just wanted to sort of, in a way, change history a little, perhaps, or at least uh, um, interpret history a little bit more deeply. Because I'd like to say that when I walked in that door, that, those, you know, that first time I walked into the Glasgow Buddha Centre, when I walked in and I saw Padmasambhava, then, of course, I never realised this, but he saw me. Now, uh, what is interesting about that is we, we spend an awful lot of time looking at Buddha images, don't we, and pictures of Buddhas and all that. It's worthwhile thinking sometimes. I can see Padmasambhava, and he can see me. Okay? It's worthwhile having that in your perception when you look at a Buddha figure. The Buddha can see me. So when I saw Padmasambhava, he saw me. Eh? And for the purposes of this talk, I just want to communicate to you, it was as if I had been reacquainted uh, myself, reacquainted with Padmasambhava. And... Um, and it's as if uh, when I looked at Padmasambhava, Padmasambhava spoke to my heart eh, and my future, as it turned out. And he said, hello, nephew. <laughs> it's me, your uncle, Padma. <laughs> and uh, and I, I think I might have said, I think I might have said, do we know each other? <laughs> and... And perhaps he said, well, I knew the, your face eh? before you were born, so to speak. Eh? So Padmasambhava and I were reacquainted that day in the Glasgow Buddhist Centre. And I was reacquainted, and this is the truth for me and for all of us. I was reacquainted with a friend, and I was reacquainted with a relative, and I was reacquainted with an uncle, my uncle Padma. Eh? my uncle Padma and what he also said now listen to my song and this was the song he sang Om Om ah, ah, Hung Jetsan Guru Padma Siddhi Hong Om ah, ah, Hung Jetsan Guru Padma Siddhi Hong Om ah, ah, Hung Jetsan Guru Padma Siddhi Hong And we did all this, eh? No, we'll do that later. Uh, we did all that. And I must say, I really enjoyed chanting that mantra. We don't do it so much these days, uh, but I really enjoyed chanting that mantra. And the man who was running the centre then was called Vajradhaka. And Vajradhaka was, well, he was as crazy as the rest of us. I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying that, really, because it was a long time ago. We're talking um, 27 years ago, say. So, um, and it was lucky for us he was crazy, actually, because there were so many of us were crazy, and we all sort of got along quite nicely on that basis. Um, and Dairatna, Dairatna was there, and he was crazy. 
he was, he was crazy enough to think he wasn't crazy. But I remember sitting there, and this guy walked in dressed in a woman's um, a woman's um, underskirt, and I thought, whoa, he must be really advanced. <laughs> he wasn't actually; he was bonkers, as a matter of fact. I didn't know that until later, but he was actually, he was. Anyway, I liked this song, and I remember walking along Sucky Hall Street. I walked along with Sucky Hall Street with Vajradaka, and I was moving towards cracking up, shall we say, and Vajradaka was walking along, and we were walking like, oh my, ah, hung jet sanguru, it's night time, along Sucky Hall Street, oh my, ah, and I don't know why I tell this, but when I do this talk, I always point this out, and we got to near a place called the Lawn Hotel, where Sucky Hall Street takes a a dog leg and becomes a slightly less um, nice street and and as we got near there a car went by it slowed down the windows got rolled down and these young guys about our age leaned out and they all went and you know I don't know why they did that and maybe they didn't know why they did that but they did do it and for some reason I suppose I've always linked the two up, I don't know why, but um, they, 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 they rolled the windows up and we were chanting this mantra, walking along and, and they sort of, in a sort of stylish way, jeered it is, but I don't think it did anything perhaps of real significance, but they rolled the windows up and they, they drove off into the night and they disappeared around the corner. I think one of the things is, that's what perhaps is significant for me, is that they disappeared, that they appeared in our lives and for a moment they communicated with us and then they were gone and who knows who they were. Who knows who they were and who knows where they are now. And whenever I talk about them, whenever I talk about them, I like to think that whatever one says communicates with the, uh, the person that uh, one is communicating about. And so I don't know who these people were, but my mind knows who they were and their minds know who they are. And our minds, when I bring them up, hey, they think, and he's reaching for a pint, it's a Saturday night, his life's a total disappointment and failure. And they say, <laughs> and it just gets to there, and he thinks, do you mind a night when we were driving along, and why did we do that? And I don't know, but it's, um, I'm with you, brother, I'm with you, it's okay, we're all together in this universe. The universe, after all, is our home. Our universe, after all, is our home. It's our only home. It has always been our home. It always will be our home. I'm so happy to be here in the universe, which is my home. So years went by, and uh, years went by, and I always kept in contact with Padma Samaba. And one night I dreamed, and what I dreamed was a tower, a tower, stone Scottish or Irish tower with those uh, rough stone steps and walls and, and, and me going up those steps and up uh, that little narrow stairway up, 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 a wall, boom, and it's blocked. I can't go down. I've come up this far. It's blocked. And I'm standing there looking at the wall uh, which is, you know, barring, barring my uh, further progress. And, and then I hear, I hear, um, uh, what was it? And at that point, the wall fell down. And I fell with it. So... I'm lying in the dark, 
landscape with the dawn just visible in the far horizon and I'm lying there in this strange landscape and and as I lie there I hear coming towards me and I know that they're coming to me I hear I can't remember I think I shouted Banshee (laughs) which you know is a kind of wake-up call, really, for the dreamland, and I came out of the dream. It's a pity, I wish I hadn't, actually, because what was coming to Osme, courtesy of Padma Samva, were the hounds of my own heart, you might say. It wouldn't have been, they probably were. My, my impression is often that in dreamland, the hounds of your own heart turn up, and they just give you great big licks across the face, and that's perhaps the worst thing that they do. So, that was a, that was a, a dream I had, and... Um, and I, I, I dreamt, years later, I went on solitary in 1982. I better speed up, actually, because we haven't even gotten to the talk, even. Um, uh, I went on solitary, and, uh, and, and I, I, use, uh, I use fantasy. So I look out my back window, and this is in Scotland, in my cottage, in Cove, and the hill sloped up the way. And, and I think I was, you know, doing my best to be sane. And I looked out there, and, and I saw, I, I, I visualised. I saw, it wasn't a vision, I saw, walking down to Osme, Padma Sambhava, and he was big, right, in his robes, in his hat, in his uh, trident, in his vajra, and, and, and the word to describe it is, he was gallus, if you can, it's a northern word, uh, he had, um, he had, uh, uh, man, uh, what's the word, chuspa, do you know what I mean, gallus, brass neck, yeah, brass neck. No, but not cheap. And he sort of just, oh, whoa, walking down the hill like that. And he was just doing this. And then over the hill came all the other Buddhists and Bodhisattvas behind him. And they're all enjoying life. Eh? And that was what was important. They're all full of life. They're all enjoying life, 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 life. And they don't say, and you can't enjoy life unless you lead a spiritual life. So there. <laughs> I'm enjoying life because I left my wife and I've never been happier. <laughs> no, so they weren't saying stuff like that. They were alive. This is what I want to say about them. They were alive to life. Life is what they're alive to. Not any lifestyle, eh? Life is what they're alive to. And, uh... So, here's another thing, right, another. Now, all of these things I'm telling you are ingredients that come to mind 20 years later as I put together a talk on Padma Sambhava. So, somewhere around that time, I read Malcolm Lowry's Ultramarine. Uh, and Ultramarine is a book about Malcolm Lowry's travels uh, as a sailor on a tramp steamer during the 1930s. Uh, he, uh, Lowry is an interesting character. He's very interesting to people who maybe are considering, should I really live a Buddhist life? What does it mean? Because Lowry uh, had gone to Oxford. And, and those in the know in Oxford, eh, those in the know had very high hopes for Malcolm Lowry. They thought he is going to be Great. He's going to be great. He's going to be a writer. He's going to be a giant in the literary world. Malcolm Lowry. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. And he became known instead as the great what might have been. The great what might have been. Oh, Malcolm. 
Anyway, his most famous book is Under the Volcano, and it's a read and a half, and it is like being under a volcano. It took me nine months to read it. It's not exactly a very pleasant book, shall we say. It's about the death of a man through alcoholism. So it's a really a biography of him. Um, but Lowry was, was, was going to be one of those great might-have-beens, and here he, he, he took his own way. He went his own path, and he didn't do what they wanted. And so they thought, well... Let's write him off, and, and he went away to die, which is a mistake, really, I think. And perhaps if more people like him had found something, a teaching like the Dharma, they wouldn't have went away to die, because they would have followed their heart to its fullness, which is they would have followed their heart to the truth instead of stop and say, at the bottle. Now, Ultramarine, one of his books uh, about his time as a, as, a, as a merchant sailor, Ultramarine brought to my mind, what it brought to my mind and what it brought to this talk was strange cities. Strange cities, eh? Because uh, Lowry, in his tramp steamers, went to Far East, and the Far East in the 30s was a very strange place. Places like Macau. Shanghai, eh? Yokohama, uh, uh, where else? And uh, Singapore and places like that. And he went to all these places. Eh? So Ultramarine brought to my mind strange cities. Cities which are not like Glasgow or cities which are not like Seven Oaks. <laughs> God, Seven Oaks, eh? Um, um, anyway, um, what, what these strange cities are. Places of the other, uh, the unfamiliar, the great fragmented yet unifying force of not me, not mine. Look at that, I've finished a page. Now, these strange cities married up for the purposes of this talk with my image of Padma Sambhava. And they made a context where I walked alone, a setting where I could see my mind revolve. Now, where does that lead me? Well, it led me to what is the Dharma, page 4041, Banti's rendition of the Nidanas. And here we go, the human mind, eh? I know so little but want so much. Sometimes it seems the world is my prey. Blindly I move in it, seeking, searching, for the satisfaction of my desires. In the drunkenness of a partial mind. Set up by the previous beat of my desiring heart. Thus I link my future with my past. Upon the bridge of my appetites. But who am I that treads this path of questions? The same yet different from one moment to the next, astride my actions. So in my bewilderment, I light the fires of my flesh and feel, perceive and will and know that I am formed, named, mind and body come to its senses. All that I understand strikes sparks on this base in bright contact. Thus I feel my way against the darkness and thirst for more, going on my feelings hence, wanting everything, never satisfied, grasping and attached. 
I cling then to what I know, becoming born in heights and depths, settled on the shivering mud of my consequences, where I rise and fall incessantly between the birth of joy, the birth of tragedy. These realms of my possession, forcing ground of strange cities, both of the world and of the mind, haunt of eternity and annihilation, whose crowded streets teem with a taut life, torn between their passion and the dust of moments, make up the wheel of life. Here, here the gods fall to the earth from their bed of stars, Titans wade through blind will towards nothing. The animals run with twilight as the world turns. Beings from hell stand brandishing and blazing enraged. Hungry ghosts eat at the wind. Only the human beings dance, poised on the point of choice, in the place of opposites in the realm of harmony. See how we turn in our multitudes, tuned to the beat and the music of our hearts. Thus no one walks alone, but always with others, in matching step, each gesture reciprocated. Into your eyes, into your strange cities I look, and there am I, and there the flower of enlightenment. Many songs are sung. Somewhere at this very moment, some sing the lotus songs. Their minds shape their voices. Their voices shake the air, which shakes the world. As the world shakes, so I shake myself, as we all do, in time, in tune with those lotus songs. A participation moment now comes. I'm going to do the mantra. You'll join in for a minute, and I'll redo the the eight names of Padmasambhava. Okay, do get us in there. Om Mahong Vajra Guru Padma Siddhi Hong 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 Om Mahong The Almighty Guru from the land of Orgyen Mahong Vajra Guru Padma Siddhi Hong Om Mahong Vajra Guru Padma Siddhi Hong Guru who has issued from a lotus Om Mahong Vajra Guru Padma Siddhi Hong Guru who is the lion of the Shakya clan Mahong Vajra Guru Padma Siddhi Hong the Sun Ray Guru who embraces all doctrines. Mahong Vajra Guru Padma Siddhi Hong. The immutable Guru with loose hanging stomach. 
Om Mahom Vashra Guru Padmasiddhi Om The Guru who teaches with the voice of a lion Om Mahom Vashra Guru Padmasiddhi The Lotus King Guru who is untouched by faults Om Mahom Vashra Guru Padmasiddhi Om The Guru possessing wisdom and best desires. Om Vajra Guru Padma Siddhi Hum. Om Mahong Vajra Guru Padma Siddhi Hum. When I clap my hand, you've got to stop instantly. Yes, sir. Okay. At the end of the chanting, which we've just done, imagine a hand reaches out from the shadows and touches ours. We understand then, a meeting has been arranged. A meeting has been arranged. eh? But to fulfil that meeting, we must wander in a strange city. Hamburg, Macau, Shanghai, or San Francisco, or wherever. eh? And in that strange city is a huge saloon. A huge saloon. We feel like a drink. Okay, so we go in, and we walk in, and we go to the bar, and the barman, who is eternal barman, he must be drying a glass, this is all they do, in fact, if there's no, they sleep like that at night, and you think, I'll, I'll have something, and you lean on the bar, and you sort of look, and you see, in an alcove, and you see there, in, at the back, on a floor, three steps up from the rest of us, at a chair, beside a table, Padma Sambhava. He sits in all his robes, a trident leans against the wall, a Vajra on the table. He always reminds me of Clark Gable in his prime. I don't know why. I think it's the moustache. <laughs> and the strangest thing is, nobody else in the saloon seems to notice. So you go over. Uncle, what are you doing here? Where else would I be, nephew? I sit down. We talk. My uncle suggests we go for a walk. Outside, Imagine for yourself the city. And I've noticed that when a low level of integration, that's me, meets up with a profounder state, for example, Padma Sambhava, then I feel dumb, stale, old, without the saving grace of being ancient. Like a cold dinner from the night before. But everything feels new, walking along with Padma Sambhava. Everything is fresh, like being in a clear light. All the buying, selling, walking, talking that goes on is done with a significant intensity, as if everyone knew they were both a portion of the universe and its all. Standing with him, it seems as if the secret is revealed. Why we do the things we do, the purpose of our lives, their consequences, 
both for ourselves and beyond ourselves. And each of us stands out alone, a singular greatness that only comes about because we are connected in our life with everything. So we stand there watching the city in a calm breath. Now at this point, me and Panasambava, my uncle and myself, have a dialogue. We engage in a dialogue, eh? And and how, because it's just me and Padmasamba, and it's just me who's doing it, uh, what I do is, when I say nephew, that's Padmasamba speaking. When I say uncle, that's me. Now, who am I? I'm every man. All right? So that's who I'm meaning to be here. Every man. If it was women here, it'd be every person, if you see what I mean. But I'm every man. That's who is here. Eh? So, uncle, I say, I've been having a few thoughts since I last met you. And Parmesanva says, well, nephew, I'm always interested in your latest thinking. So, well, uncle, I've been thinking that I would like to spend some time in a nudist colony. (laughs) A nudist colony, nephew. Yes, uh, I feel contained, uncle, held in, constrained, imprisoned even in my clothes. They weigh on me like lead. People look at me and see my clothes. They don't see me, not the real me. So I thought, why not throw off my clothes and be naked? Naked as the day I was born. Exposed, the nitty-gritty me revealed. And I thought, it was obvious. A nudist camp. That's an interesting thought, nephew. I like that thought. I like the way you're going. You know one of the things that it brings to my mind? No, uncle? The Etruscans, nephew. As a matter of fact. (laughs) The Etruscans, uncle. That's right. They had a tradition in their culture. They termed heroic nakedness. I can see them clearly. Figures naked, doing acrobatics and fighting bulls and other wild beasts. Men and women and nothing but their skin and bravery. I don't want to fight wild beasts, uncle. (laughs) I was thinking more of beach balls and a bit of tennis. And catch a bit of sun. I know you were. But what was being shown here was more than what was physically apparent. It was symbolic, it seemed to me, of a a free inner life, untrammeled, unbounded, witnessing a naked joy in being. Not just physical then, but emotional, psychological, and even what we might call spiritual. That's it, uncle. I want to be free, untrammeled, unbounded, 
I think of the images I've seen on TV, free like the women in the shampoo adverts. <laughs> when, they, when they swing their hair. Oh. It swings about their head like, like a coloured liquid fire. And, and they smile with release and express positive statements like... Because I'm worth it. Because I'm worth it. That's not low self-esteem, Uncle. You must have tried the shampoo. Yes. It didn't work. Uh, of course, it was always the first time. Uh, I'd like, I'd like, I'd like to feel like the guy when he climbs in his new car and that smooth machine is an extension of himself, not to 60 and 3 seconds and she, that's the computer, talks to him, <laughs> understands him and they zoom off together down the open road. What a couple! Free! Him on his mobile phone and she, the car, patrolling her systems, watching for issues that might come up like that. All of it, anyway, uh, seems to have come down to my clothes. Uh, I felt trapped in them. Uh, I suppose most of what I ever see uh, is images of having freedom or, or not. So I thought, throw off my clothes, down to bare necessities. So you don't feel free, nephew? No, Uncle, just the opposite. Does anybody feel free, nephew? Well, I ask people, Uncle, mostly they say, so-so, eh, as if they're waiting on their lives to fire up and begin and have grown accustomed to the cold. I want more than this, but I don't know which way to go. Well, nakedness is a good way to go, nephew. Wearing no clothes has its uses. Look at me. I myself have often worn different robes, gold and precious stones, plain homespun, and at other times I've worn nothing at all. Nothing between me and all the weather of the world and all the beings and all their clothing of shadows. Finally, I understood. Nakedness is within. For our purposes, nephew, though the without can lead you to the within with practice. I say within, but what I mean to indicate to you, nephew, is that the nakedness and the freedom and the sense you seek is the nakedness of your own mind. This nakedness, uncle, how can I come to understand it? In brief, live without the trappings of discursive thought. Train yourself to understand the unified nature of your mind. Come to know how it encompasses all this mundane world and the life of enlightenment complete. It is the intrinsic awareness of your own mind that yields nakedness. It is knowing it that brings freedom. It is all we are, and yet many do not recognize it. It is present everywhere, illumined, lucid, clear, yet many never see its face. 
Thus their own mind in its depth is lost to them. This intrinsic, inherent awareness is like the sunlight falling through a cloudless sky, unobstructed, yet many pass it by without comprehension. Should you wish to know yourself, you must understand it. In fact, not understanding means you know nothing. All the Dharmic teachings point to this intrinsic awareness and our need to understand it, to be our mind of unity. When we understand nothing, then our actions draw down upon our lives all the sufferings possible in this world. Through our ignorance we yield ourselves up to the scramble after bright and shining pain, drugged by delusion lost in the vast wheel of the centuries. It is grievous not to know ourself. It is hurtful, nephew. You must ask yourself, have I ever been satisfied? And if so, for how long? You may remove your clothes. Far better to remove your delusions. How does this awareness feel, uncle? When I look into myself with naked awareness, all that has gone before, I have let go. All that would come, comes unencumbered by any divisive views of mine. I look and know that my mind just is, nephew, unified and clear and yet... Quite ordinary, settled, stable, completely pure. It is rested in its own true nature. Hence I'm very happy and wish others to have the same understanding out of compassion. I want things to uncle me. I can't imagine life without desires. It would seem without purpose. A wretched emptiness. A suffocating experience of nothing. It is as if what I want causes me to live, links me in with life. I get what I want sometimes and sometimes I do not. All in all, it's bearable. Believe me, it's worth it to know your own mind more deeply, nephew. Believe me, you can understand what I'm saying. I know all of a person's life. Eh? Its momentums of wishes and desires can flow morning, noon and night like a great tide so that everywhere people swim for their lives. In the terror of its rush, in the grip of its spray and foam, from one moment to the next they go. In fear, drowning. But 
Stop a while. See yourself. Trust the image of the waters. Breathe into your depths and ask, Who am I? Who flees from one moment to the next? Who fears their death yet sits? Bemused by their life. Bewildered. Puzzled. Grave. Think of how behind your dance, behind your song, behind the meeting of bright eyes, do you not stand alone? Alone in the sense of lonely, not in the sense of strong. Stop and realize. Grant your own wish to rest. Draw comfort from your own mind. Trust the waters. Have some trust in your life. All the Buddhists have compassion for living beings. And why? They understand what it's like to feel that you have to swim for your life. They have known that state themselves. I don't say it's easy, nephew. <laughs> but, don't be like the fool who loses his sense of identity in a crowd. And on this basis begins a search amongst them for himself. Not knowing his own mind, everywhere he finds his absence in the face of others, in their embrace, he remains empty without fulfilment. We make fools of ourselves, settling our lives anywhere but on the knowledge of our own mind. Each wish, each desire, makes of itself a cliff from which we hang, thinking in our terror, I am. I am that fool, uncle. You talked of liberation, and I was thinking of winning the lottery thinking I could buy my way out of this trouble, as if the rich carried happiness in their wallet or their purse and didn't purchase each and every one a grave for themselves. I saw a jumbo jet take off into a dawn or sunset. All my troubles were left behind. I recognize the fountain of your desires, nephew. It sparkles in a winter sun. It rises and it falls, a place of gravity and shadows. Truly, I sympathize, but all appearances come from your own mind. The fountain of your own desires casts this lasting tragedy. There could be joy instead. You could love, not cling, not making creatures of other people for your wishes. You could know them in their depths instead. Why not direct your mind towards unity? See that the doer and the done are not two different things. Trying to separate them up to find the one who does, who acts, or who does not, and make a separation of the life's debris, that will leave us shattered, beset, instead of blessed by our mind. Observed and observer, meditation and meditator, viewer and the view, 
Oh, separations will never sustain themselves against the mind's unity. To let them go is to have a birth into truth. This birth is precious. It is like being in the gaze of our own mind, in the smile of our unity. With the completeness of its touch, we make a true homecoming. I can't do it, uncle. The life I lead, the life of the times, eradicate my hopes. I am too flawed. It is too difficult, too vast, too different, strange, too much, a reappraisal of my mind. No, it is like the honey on the razor's edge. You speak about the edge. I will speak about the sweetness. It tires my mind, uncle. I want to sleep. I want to cuddle up in fresh, new, realizable hopes and with some prospect of their release. It is too much, uncle. It is all too much. You ask me to carry a mountain. You ask me to put down my history, relinquish the thought of a tomorrow. But in the squeeze between my past and my future, I am comforted. Let me be blind then, and all my senses numb. I will withdraw. I will make a fortress of my life and care nothing for any space beyond the reach of my breath. Nothing for time beyond the moment of my desires. Leave me alone, uncle. I am sorry to have troubled you. Now listen. Everything is bright, my son. Nephew, the mind is brightness itself and all our consequences, dark or light, share in the brightness of the mind. Lift yourself up. Consider, you say that your mind boils, smokes and simmers and you can't remain in a calm state. Relax, nephew. Try letting yourself just be. Your thoughts just be, just as they are. Not separate from your intrinsic awareness. Perhaps they will settle into calmness then. So you say, you're helpless, unable to contain your thoughts, so that your spiritual practice is a failure. Yet remember what I said. Our intrinsic mind is in a state of unity, perfected of itself, always beyond success or failure. Since intrinsic awareness just is, without cause or conditioning, can we really claim that our efforts are worthless? Each wandering mind and its liberation simultaneously occur. Bondage and release remain merely a matter of right effort. To understand this, we must practice. Just as milk must be churned into butter, so all sentient beings, though they possess 
the actual essence of Buddhahood, will not realize it without engaging in practice. Practice, nephew, practice, and realize your own liberation. To support ourselves, think, how can we claim ignorance of our mind? When all that we do, think, are, is just that, our own mind. When we look, there it stands, unsupported in its towering, profound emptiness. Formless, like the clear sky, it is free of substance, and yet encompasses all. Look at your own mind, nephew. Does it conform? Unceasing in its flow, endless like a river, so goes our intrinsic mind. Look at your own mind, nephew. Does it conform? Do not be dogged or chained by memories. They are like mere breezes blowing through the sky and cannot know the workings of our own mind that just is. Look at your own mind, nephew. Does it conform? All appearances are like images in a mirror or clouds in the sky. They appear and disappear, come from themselves, self-originated. Look at your own mind, nephew. Does it conform? There exist no phenomena other than what rises from the mind, meditation, our behaviour, our vows of commitment, the experience of the consequences of our skilful actions, all rise up from our mind. No metaphor can fully describe our intrinsic awareness. Yet, metaphors abound as flowers abound out of a holy earth, testament to its richness. Let me read you something. Uh, this is the book I've worked from. Okay? Uh, what you're seeing here, what I've been reading out, is what's in this book, more or less. In other words, it's not been my invention, eh? I've reworked it. Uh, because you, you grasp that these various appearances that arise, nephew, becoming attached to them, errors have come into existence. Yet with respect to all of these appearances of which you are aware in your mind, even though these appearances that you perceive do arise, if you do not grasp at them, then that is Buddhahood. Appearances are not erroneous in themselves but because of your grasping at them errors come into existence but if you know that these thoughts only grasp at things which are mind then they will be liberated by themselves everything that appears is but a manifestation of mind even though the entire external inanimate universe appears to you, it is but a manifestation of mind. 
Even though all of the sentient beings of the six realms appear to you, they are but manifestations of mind. Even though the happiness of humans and the delights of the devas in heaven appear to you, they are but manifestations of mind. Even though the sorrows of the three evil destinies appear to you, they are but manifestations of mind. Even though the five poisons representing ignorance and the passions appear to you, they are but manifestations of mind. Even though intrinsic awareness, which itself originated primal awareness, appears to you, it is but a manifestation of mind. Even though good thoughts along the way to nirvana appear to you, they are but manifestations of mind. Even though obstacles due to demons and evil spirits appear to you, they are but manifestations of mind. Even though the gods and other excellent attainments appear to you, they are but manifestations of mind. Even though various kinds of purity appear to you, they are but manifestations of mind. Even though the experience of remaining in a state of one-pointed concentration without any discursive thoughts appears to you, <laughs> it is but a manifestation of mind. Eh? Even though the colors that are the characteristics of things appear to you, they are but manifestations of mind. Even though a state without characteristics and without conceptual elaborations appears to you, it is but a manifestation of mind. Even though the non-duality of the one and the many appears to you, it is but a manifestation of mind. Even though existence and non-existence which are not created anywhere appear to you, they are but manifestations of mind. There exist no appearances whatsoever that can be understood as not coming from mind. Self-liberation through seeing with naked awareness available from wisdom books. So... I must take my leave of you, nephew, for a while. Think about what I said. I shall, uncle. Strange to say, nephew, it may take time. Though our mind is everywhere, immediate and complete, it may take time. Bad habits, vagueness, staying on the surface of things, all this and more add up to our needing to learn an unencumbered state as if we had sunk our clear mind into the terms of a ditch self-made and there we lie weeping our precious tears which fall either in freedom or delusion the choice is ours now I must go reflect on what I've said nephew call upon me any time you will it is always good to speak to you uncle I know. Look after yourself now, nephew. Precious is a life. Precious knowledge and understanding of our intrinsic mind. Go naked in the world, nephew. Stripped of delusions for the benefit of all. May all the Buddhas, who are more numerous than the stars, be in your company. 
and in the company of all. I watched him, pad my samba, walk away down the street of that strange city. He turned and waved and then he disappeared. And I was left reflecting. We who live in time and space, in the past, present and future, in all the ten directions of this vast universe, are born, exist and die face to face with the Buddhas. Thus, Padmasambhava, you are always with us. Your friendship calls from us the thought of enlightenment, our possibility of Buddhahood. Your company sets our minds straight upon the path, and your example shows us how to practice hard, intent in all our spiritual deeds, which rise then like flowers from the depths of time to lift our minds. Padmasambhava, you have given all that you have and are, an infinitude of heads, hands and feet and acts delivered to the world in fulfilment of the altruism of a bodhisattva. Padmasambhava, all the perfections are matured in you. Your footsteps make great acts of merit. I am encouraged by you, supported, befriended to emulate them, and I rejoice. Padmasambhava, great are the merits of all bodhisattvas, their self-sacrifice and courage in carrying through the most difficult acts of body, their determination and perseverance in pursuing supreme enlightenment. In all these immense merits, I will rejoice and take the hand of friendship offered face to face by the Buddhas, the Bodhisattvas, and their Bodhicitta. Ho, Padmasambhava! I wanted so little, but have found so much. This world is in my care. In tenderness I move in it, sympathetic, sensitive, searching with a whole heart for the truth. Thus I link my future and my past, all the blessings of those lives and strivings, upon the bridge of my aspirations. Who am I that treads this path of question and response, the same yet different from one moment to the next I go? astride my actions. So in my knowledge I will light the fires of my flesh and feel, perceive and will and know that I am formed, named, mind and body come to its senses. Everything and nothing striking sparks upon the space in bright contact. Thus I will make my way against the darkness and thirst for more, going on my feelings, hence wanting everything, never satisfied, grasping and attached to enlightenment. I cling then to what I now know, 
becoming born in heights and depths, settled on the shivering mud of my consequences, incessant beyond rise and fall, beyond joy and tragedy. These realms of my possession, forcing ground of strange cities, both of the world and of the mind, haunt of eternity, annihilation, and the middle way, whose crowded streets teem with a taut life, torn between reaction and response. Such passion from the dust of moments which makes or breaks the wheel of life. Great humanity in their potential cause for the gods to fall to earth and leave their bed of stars, whom Titan see and wade towards that sight, cause of the animals to stop and realize standing shadowless beneath the full light of the sun, whom beings from hell stand gazing at with busting hearts, brandishing, blazing, inspired, enraged against their previous foolishness, cause of the hungry ghosts to give, raise flowers of release from beds of anxiety, wreaths of gentleness and love and ease, bringer of smiles, Great humankind and our imagination who dance poised on the point of choice in the place of opposites in the realm of harmony. See how we turn, pouring in torrents in multitudes, tuned to the beat and music of our hearts. We walk alone, yet always with others, in matching step, each gesture reciprocated. Into your eyes I look, and there I am, and there the flower of enlightenment. Let us mature ourselves. Padmasambhava, all across this world, all across the universe, your great heart goes. One thing. Many songs are sung. Somewhere at this very moment, some sing the lotus songs. Their minds shape their voices. Their voices shake the air, which shakes the world. And as the world shakes, so I shake myself, as we all do in time, in tune with those lotus songs. Om ma hong vajra guru padma sedi hong 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 The almighty guru from the land of Ogin Ho! Vajra guru padma sedi hong Om ma hong vajra guru padma sedi hong The guru who has issued from a lotus Hong hong vajra guru padma sedi hong Om ma hong vajra guru padma sedi hong Guru who is the lion of the Shakya clan Hong ma sedi hong Om ma hong vajra guru padma sedi hong The sun ray guru who embraces all doctrines Hong ma sedi hong Om ma hong vajra 
the immutable guru with hanging stomach. Oh, Mahong Bajra Guru Padma City Hum. Om Mahong Bajra Guru Padma City Hum. The guru who teaches with the voice of a lion. Oh, Hong Bajra Guru Padma City Hum. Om Mahong Bajra Guru Padma City Hum. The Lotus King Guru who is untouched by false. Bajra Guru Padma City Hum. Om Mahong Bajra Guru Padma City Hum. The Guru possessing wisdom and base desires. Om Mahong Bajra Guru Padma City Hum. Om Mahong Bajra Guru Padma City Hum. Om Mahong Bajra Guru Padma City Hum. Om Mahong. So I know you're desperate to participate. And you're all going to stand up again, eh? Come on, then. Are you going to stand up? Okay, now we know, we know the routine, eh? We know the routine. And it's ho to the Buddhas, the Bodhisattvas, and the Bodhicitta. But, imagine this. No, this is the truth. Your very shout is heard face to face. We stand with the Buddhas at all times. They are here. They are with you. They are inside you. They are outside you. They are everywhere. Are you ready? So it's ho to the Buddhas, the Bodhisattvas, and the Bodhicittas three times. And we should raise the roof. What do you think? Okay. Ho to the Buddhas, the Bodhisattvas, and the Bodhicittas. Ho to the Buddhas, the Bodhisattvas, and the Bodhicittas. Ho to the Buddhas, the Bodhisattvas, and the Bodhicitta. Thank you. Thank you.